This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast, where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily, and this is the week of February 19th through 23rd, 2024, and we've got some champions wild card and some tournament of champions to talk about this week. Yes. We're on the road to normalcy or something. Yes. What are we going to do after the tournament of champions is over? Who knows? Um, Have new contestants? <laughs> what? Never. I'm sure we'll find out what the plan yeah, is. I'm sure uh, it'll be the tournament second tournament of second chance champion it'll be i don't know we'll see we'll see the second um, tournament of champion chances yes, yes there we go that's the one but hey let's let's check in about us the the hosts of this show how are you doing kyle i am doing all right uh, i got some family visiting that's nice things are Moving toward routine, which I appreciate, and yeah, not a, not nice. a lot to report. Just kind of kind of boring, which I'm I'm okay with, given the uncertainty of the last half year. So, how about you? I'm good. I just got back from Utah, where I went skiing, which was great if humbling on the one hand i attempted a black diamond and i made it down on my skis and on the other hand i i fell down a couple of times one of them flinging my gear all over the place right under the chairlift so that's always fun Um, (laughs) (laughs) it's nice when you have an audience for moments like that (laughs) of course it is yeah I, i broke my arm snowboarding when i was a teenager oh no it, it was so dumb. It like it was a very small fracture, and I wasn't even doing anything either dumb or cool. <laughs> I was just like going down, and then I hit an edge, and it was right under the ski lift, and I just flopped over. It's always and, right under the ski lift. Yeah, yeah. It, so it was like, yeah, it was dumb. Anyway, continue. Yeah. So so yeah. Like on the one hand. I did a black diamond. Look at me. I'm so cool. And on the other hand, like I, I blatantly embarrassed myself. I I had a I had a celebrity encounter with I was helping my kid get her gear on and there were a couple of other kids also getting their gear on with their ski instructor and then one of them started talking about when daddy was in Hamilton. So that's <laughs> that that was a memorable moment. My my daughter pulled on my sleeve until I told them that we were fans of Hamilton, at which point she immediately was like, I'm not <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's how my daughter told Lynn Manuel Miranda's kids that she doesn't like their dad's musical. <laughs> so Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> it's good for them to hear because I bet they always own they, they always hear how great it is and how great he is and all oh, your bet you're so talented too. She's like, nah. 
Not <laughs> I don't today. like it one bit. She likes six, which I took her to see after we got okay. back. Yeah. <laughs> but she does not like Hamilton and she told them, she told the Miranda children so. <laughs> Bless. But of course the real highlight was that I saw Anarchy Garcia was a Jeopardy champion and on the Tournament of Champions and a friend of the podcast. She is guest hosted here. So we went out for lunch with our families. I got to meet her spouse and children in person, which is fun. And we went to the Natural History Museum. And Anaki is a gelatin artist. Yeah, there's she- no other way to put it. She makes the most absurd and delightful jello creations and she's like entered stuff in like, I don't know, state fairs or like where do you where do you have jello competitions? I don't know. So but she had she had made what appeared to be a banana split suspended in gelatin. Yeah, it was so cool. And it was delicious. It was legitimately delicious. It was really good. That's um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So so yeah, Anaki Garcia cool as always all right hey let's talk about jeopardy okay monday february 19th it was champions wild card group two semifinal game two and our contestants were taylor claggett marketing director originally from chesapeake beach maryland deb billado a restaurant server from san francisco california and deandre d'alessio a technical writer from montreal quebec canada and the Jeopardy, ra- Jeopardy round categories were On State's Highway Welcome Signs, Their Name's a Bible Book, Potent Quotables, TV Coaches, It's All Small Stuff with Small in Quotation Marks, and Heavy. Potent Quotables with all quotes about alcohol. My favorite kind. The $200 level of potent quotables is a fun Bible fact to be aware of. The New Testament's First Timothy says, drink no longer water, but use a little of this for thy stomach's sake. Taylor got that. That's wine. There are certainly ills associated with alcohol, but it's it's nice to just have that in your pocket when, you know, <laughs> when people are like, teetotaling is the Lord's way. It's like, well... <laughs> Like yeah. it, it's it is personal advice from from Paul to Timothy, right? Yes. I'm like, who is this letter? It's not it's not meant to be, you know, for everyone. But like Paul is advising Timothy, like, oh, if your health isn't so good, maybe you should maybe you should drink a little bit of wine. Just a little bit. Just a yeah. just a nipper. Yeah. Their their name's a Bible book category. The two hundred dollar level didn't seem to fit the trend. $400 level was real world Mr. Law, the fictional Mr. Folly, that's Jude. 600 was a Cohen brother, Last of Us Father, that's Joel. 800 was Joshua. The 1000 was mm-hmm. Jonah. But the 200 was Ruth. And like, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, I have nothing against Ruth. Love Ruth. Right. We, we read Ruth at my wedding, or mm-hmm. at least part of Ruth. But it doesn't start with a J. Yeah, it should be Jeremiah. It, it it should be Jeremiah. Yep. Oh, nobody knew TV coaches a thousand dollar level on Friday Night Lights. This actor, there was a picture. It played a coach with a simple message for his players: clear eyes, full of hearts, can't lose. Nobody remembered his name. It's Kyle Chandler. It's a good name. Yeah. 
To be honest, I have a hard time remembering Kyle Chandler's name because I see him and I'm like, that's Coach Taylor. Yeah. Who else? Um, like, what What do you mean? This is a documentary. This is real yes. life. <laughs> yeah. All right. Daily Double number one is an on state's highway welcome signs. It's a long title name. $600 level. Pick number 19, Deb finds it. They are at 2,200. DeAndre is at 4,200. And Taylor is at negative 200. And Deb wagers all of it and gets the clue. A southern sign says, welcome to this Leonard Skinner title. And they get it correct with, what is Sweet Home Alabama? Mm-hmm. The only Leonard Skinner song I know. At the end of the Jeopardy round, DeAndre is at 4,800. Deb is at 5,800. And Taylor is at 1,000. Double Jeopardy categories are National Statuary Hall, Awards and Honors, Plant Lore, Geographic Book Titles, Pop, and The Question. The $1,600 level of National Statuary Hall. National Statuary Hall does kind of hit kind of everything we cover in this podcast mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> in general, but the $1,600, both of which were talked about in deep dives that I have done. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, two separate deep dives. Yeah. Thinking about it. Hawaii is represented by these two figures, a king and a priest. Taylor got it. That's Kamehameha and Father Damien. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I knew that one because of your deep dives, I think. I might have known those names without it, but certainly I felt better equipped for that question because of the why podcast. The, so. And that's why we do this. That's why we do this. level of plant lore. The wreath named for this six-letter religious season has four candles that symbolize the four Sundays before Christmas. Deandra got that one? That's Advent. We're in the season of Lent now. We are. Yes. And the American capitalist commercial materialism machine has gotten hold of the word Advent. And apparently there are things out there in stores that are called Easter Advent calendars. (laughs) (laughs) which are things you can open as you count down to Easter with little (laughs) Yankian toys. That's really sweet. Also, there's There's a name for that already. There's already a name for the season before Easter. It's called Lent. It's not called Advent. An Advent calendar isn't just a thing for counting down to a day. It's a church yeah. season before Christmas. And also, the point of Lent it's not is kind of the opposite. <laughs> it's not supposed to be like, every day I get a new gift. <laughs> but how, how can you monetize? Well, actually, I know how you can mo- there, monetize. There, oh, there are ways. <laughs> yes, yeah. no, we've got, we have, a, we have a whole industry mm. around monetizing having less yes we've got we've got we've got like the whole like decluttering organizing complex we've got Mm -hmm. diet culture all right okay enough enough from me but (laughs) the nod to advent just as we're starting led made me made me think about the posts that i've been seeing around the internet about these like other kinds of like quote-unquote advent calendars Daily Double number two is in the question at the $1,600 level. Pick number 11, Deb finds it. 
there at 8,600 with Deandra at 8,000 and Taylor at 2,600. And they wager 2,600 and get the clue. The answer to this question includes to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach. And they know that it is How Do I Love Thee, the Elizabeth Barrett Browning poem. Aww. Yeah. So sweet. And Daily Double number three is in awards and honors at the $1,200 level. Uh, pick number 17, Deandra finds it. She is at 11200 Deb's at 12800 And Taylor is back at 2600 Deandra wagers 2000 Gets a clue. In the early 20th century, these were given out for literature. Baron Pierre de Coubertin won one under a pen name for Ode to Sport. And she guesses what are medals... And Ken asked her to be more specific, and she says Olympic medals, which is correct. That is so wild. I have so many questions. They were they were just hurting, hurting for events. They were like anything, anybody. We just we need things to draw in crowds. We need something to beef up these games. What do you what do you got? They're like swimming. We're like, yeah, of course we got swimming. Running, yeah, okay, great. Literature, poetry. Like we'll circle back to that. Come, you know, they go about half an hour and they're like, we only got like 12 things on this list. What was that the one that guy said? Poetry. It's like, yeah, okay, we'll have that. Yeah, that's. that's bet, I'm sure that's how it happened. That, sound, that sounds accurate. Yeah, no need to look it up at this point. That's, that's wild. I am going to. I'm not going to look it up right right now, but oh. There is uh, something something intriguing about there that. There is yeah. a story to be told that I am so. In some ways, I am so bummed that DeAndre got it correct because, like, I, I I wish that 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 I could like bring you all a deep dive on like mm-hmm. okay let's talk about the Olympic medical medal for literature yeah yeah but but good job Deandra so at the end of the de- double jeopardy round Deandra's at fifteen thousand two hundred Deb's at seventeen thousand two hundred Taylor's at forty six hundred the final jeopardy category is Canadian medicine and the clue is. Nova Scotian William Knapp Buckley devised a widely used antitussive, meaning a drug used against this. I thought this was on the easy side mm-hmm. for a final Jeopardy, and they all got it correct. We come to Taylor first, and Taylor has what is coughing and happy birthday, Jackson, with a $23 wager. Deandra also has what is coughing and a little maple leaf. Good thing she got it because this was tangentially about Canada. Yes. If you're from Canada, you have to know everything that has happened in Canada. But, yep, $6,000 is DeAndre's wager, putting her at 21200 And Deb has it correct as well with what is cough and a $13,201 cover bet, which sends them to the finals. And Ken notes that tussive was the keyword here and that if you know the medication robitussin or right. the disease pertussis that mm. would help you make that connection right yeah so that brings us to tuesday when we get semifinal game three with the contestants jesse Matheny, a customer success specialist originally from huntington indiana alex gordon a surgical resident originally from summers new york and kat jepson an artist from roanoke virginia The Jeopardy round categories are the 13 colonies, piles, the U.S. Postal Service, what's that smell, jewelry, and Hansel culture. (laughs) 
Oh, like cancel culture. Okay, like, like cancel like, culture. Yes. Like what? How did, yeah. All right. Makes sense, I guess. Always good. The four hundred dollar level there in a model walk off in Zoolander. This actor is Hansel defeats Ben Stiller by doing something indescribable with his underwear. And Jesse rang in and said, "Wow, what's Owen mm-hmm. Wilson?" And uh, very, very good. Wow. So mm-hmm. anytime, anytime Owen Wilson is mentioned, you gotta say, "Wow." Yeah. My mine is not very good. I'm mm-hmm. Sorry, everyone that I put you up to that. Not like my French accent, which is excellent. <laughs> Alex ran the 13 colonies category. Indeed. Uh, as the first five clues of the round. He almost missed the $600 level. George Calvert was instrumental in the founding of this colony in 1632. He said, what is Baltimore? And then corrected himself to Maryland in time. So did mm. get that one as well. I knew that Saybrook was its own colony until 1644 when it joined Connecticut. That was the thousand dollar level. So he got himself off to a good lead in those first five clues. Daily double number one is in the US Postal Service at the eight hundred dollar level. Jesse finds it at pick number seventeen. He has sixteen hundred with Kat at forty two hundred and Alex at three thousand. He bets it all, and he gets the clue. As an experiment in 1959, mail was dispatched by guided missile from one of these to a naval air station in Florida. And he tries what is a satellite, a space shuttle, but he is going in the wrong direction from the surface of the Earth. A submarine, apparently. uh, Apparently. Yes. The correct response here. So he drops to zero and starts building again. And at the end of the Jeopardy round, Kat's at 5,600, Alex is at 2,600, Jesse's made it back up to 2,000, and the double Jeopardy categories are Taking Flight, Bodies of Water, Artists of Their Subjects, 4-4, responses will be two four-letter words, Literary Helpers, and Action Movies. They went right to that 4-4 category and then struggled with it. Uh, nobody tried mm. the first two that they went to, uh, the $2,000 level to help with physical therapy. This type of cognitive training might have a patient walk while counting by twos. Uh, that's a dual task, mm. which I think I've heard of that, but I didn't remember that phrase. And then went yeah. at the $1,600 level when printing photos. Yes, people still do that. Do they though? The intermediate <laughs> called this comes before fixing and washing. That's a stop bath. I don't. Okay. I don't know the first thing about photo development. You you need dark. Oh, I do know that. Yeah, That's there's a dark I... room, and there's like. Mm-hmm. Okay, I know the first thing about photo development, but yeah, no, stop bath was not. I I could have I could have sat there forever and never come up with that. Yeah, me neither. The two thousand dollar level of taking flight. Have we have we haven't done a deep dive on them, have we? No, we have not. Okay, I didn't remember their names. Yeah, so the the, the clue is King Louis the Sixteenth and Marie Antoinette were in attendance when these brothers demonstrated their hot air balloon in seventeen eighty three. And gosh, I just can't. Re- I can never remember their names, the Montgolfier brothers, because my you know anything French, my brain just kind of swims around a bunch of a bunch of vowels with vague consonants. So I, I'll never, I'll never remember it unless I actually learn about them. And mm. God knows I'm not going to do that. Yep, we won't have the opportunity because Alex got that one correct. I knew all five of the taking flight clues, which 
is impressive because I, I, I historically do not pay much attention <laughs> to <laughs> aviation <laughs> space. Like mm-hmm. that's all stuff I've had to kind of fill in on purpose because it comes up a lot in trivia. Yeah. Yeah. I did remember the Montgolfier brothers. I knew the $1,600 level. So did the contestants, by the way. They also, I mean, you know, who cares? They got all of them. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, they got got all of them on the first try. The $1,600 level, the first African-American woman in space on her first shuttle mission in 1992. She carried with her a photo of pilot Bessie Coleman. And Alex knew that one. That is Jemison, Mae Jemison. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, they, they brought up. The dumb airports that service my metro region. Three major airports serve New York City, including this one that's not even in the same state. Tell me about it. Alex (laughs) got that one. That is Newark. And whenever you try to take an Uber or a Lyft home from Newark, they give you all of this nonsense about... The Uber app is fine with it, but then the driver's like, well, you know, this is a crossing state line. You're going to need to cancel on the app because I can... It's a whole... It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Being in the same state, they, they none of them want to. I think I think none of them want to like pay the the associated fees with like having a taxi in New York State. So they want to do it, but I, I don't know. I'm confused about it. But it, it's whenever it's a, thing. To, it's a thing. Whenever you need to take ride home, like back to New York from Newark Airport, it becomes a whole situation. Word to the wise. Just flying to JFK or LaGuardia. It's not worth it. Okay. <laughs> Daily double number two is in the 4-4 category at the $1,200 level. Pick number three. Jesse finds it. He's at just 2000 Cat's at 5600 Alex is at 2600 He wagers it all. <clears throat> gets a clue. Pray for us sinners is a line from it. And he gets it correct with what is Hail Mary. And Daily Double number three is in Bodies of Water at the $1,600 level. Pick number nine. Jesse finds this one as well. He found all three. And once again, third time, he makes it a true Daily Double. This time he's at 6800 with Cat at 5600 and Alex at 4200 Not as clear of a choice here, but I think he had, he had thought through what he was going to do. Mm-hmm. And I think there's enough left on the board that if he drops to zero, he can make it up. He gets the clue. Extending for about 135 miles, the Yucatan Channel links these two smaller-than-an-ocean bodies of water. And he gets it correct. It is the Gulf of Mexico and the Caribbean Sea. At the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Jesse is in a commanding lead at 18,800. Alex is at 10,200 and Kat's at 8,400. Final Jeopardy category is presidential elections. And the clue is he's the most recent presidential candidate to have officially declared his opponent in that campaign, the victor. Cat wrote, who is McCain, uh, which is incorrect, and wagered everything. Alex wrote, who is Mitt Romney, apparently also incorrect, wagered 8601, so it drops down to 1599. And Jesse wrote, who is Gore, and that is correct. Yeah. Um, the, thing that, the thing that tripped me up here is I sort of missed the officially declared because, like, the thing that you need to know is that the sitting vice president certifies the electoral college count. Yeah. Yeah, it's different than a concession, which is what my first blush at this was, which is like, did did McCain and Romney really not concede? Like, did, did they all challenge the results? I don't think that's the case, but good yeah. lord. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that was that was my assumption too, right? I was like, okay, yeah. so I know that like you know Trump, obviously up to, up the to whole past, issue. right? Like yeah. the whole that whole thing, right? Like I assumed that we were talking about you know acknowledging that their opponent won. I didn't realize right. we were talking about certifying the electoral right. college count. Yeah, officially declare them the the winner, right? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's different. Anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah. Jesse moves on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Wednesday, February twenty one. This is our first game of the finals. It's a two two day total point affair. We love a two day total point affair. The contestants, of course, are Mira Hayward, a podcast host from Portland, Oregon. Jesse Matheny, a customer success specialist originally from Huntington, Indiana, and Deb Bilodeau, a restaurant server from San Francisco, California. And the Jeopardy round categories are science quiz, 1990s music, fun and games, boozy, it's raining men, raining in this case spelled like rule, not like the weather, and hallelujah. Hallelujah was just all correct answers of like... P- positive exclamations. <laughs> yes. Apparently, dictionary.com has three consecutive A's in this slang word, but you can draw it out even more before Queen if you really want, if you want to really sl- show elation. And that's yes. Yes. Or, or yas, yes. Is how, yes. is how Deb said it. I'm I mean, I guess sure. that's how you pronounce it if it's got a bunch of A's in a row, right? Yeah. Kids these days. Mm hmm fun and games they did know that dungeons and dragons was the basis of baldur's gate they did know that post malone paid big bucks (laughs) for a magic the gathering card Mm -hmm. Uh, the one ring yes with the one ring they did not know the thousand dollar level and who who among us does really in this centuries old game with a hyphenated name you throw a knife at your opponent's feet what could go wrong (laughs) that is mumbledy peg which Uh, i think i've heard those words before but what you and your friends don't get together to play mumbledy peg Every, every you know friday night we we do not <laughs> do do you and your friends play mumbly peg seems you're not living i don't yeah. have friends yeah. <laughs> this is what i do with my friday nights it's fair we have a boozy category here and we just had the like potent quotables category yes yes we did i mean the writers get off strike and they're like we gotta write about booze yep Daily double number one is at the $1,000 level of Hallelujah. Pick number 10, Jesse finds it. He's at 1800 Deb's at 3400 Mira's at 2800 and he wagers 1800 Gets the clue, as an interjection, it means freaking awesome, dude. As a noun, a less freaking awesome unit of scientific measurement. And he gets it correct with what is rad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the end of the Jeopardy round... Deb's at 7,200, Jesse's at 6,800, Mira is at 3,800. And the double Jeopardy categories are places to visit, American authors, art and artists, ends in IR, extremely random calculations, and Mr. Steve Martin. They're not extremely random calculations. No, because you chose to do them specifically. Uh Yep. It's not how random works. Yeah. This is one of the things that I will get upset about that doesn't make sense to most other people. 
but mm-hmm. thank you for be- thank you for being with me. <laughs> oh, it. I mean, <laughs> having dealt with teenagers for so long, teenagers love to use the word random when it's not random. Yep. Like, oh, I'm, I'm so random. Like, no, you, You're not. you are, you are not. You are choosing to do the things that you think will get the biggest reaction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is not what random is. Nope. Not even close. Yeah. So extremely random calculations were, they were not extremely random, but they were calculations based on significant numbers from, I don't know, culture, (laughs) A variety of things, yeah. (laughs) A variety of things. The $1,200 level ML in Roman numerals minus Douglas Adams's answer to life, the universe, and everything. So you need to figure out that ML is 1,050. You need to remember that the answer to life, the universe, and everything is 42. And then you need to subtract it correctly, and you'll get 1,008. That is tough math to do. Yeah. On the fly. Yeah. Nobody attempted that one. Um, but they got some of these other ones. Uh, traditional number of Hercules's labors times books in the Pentateuch. That is 60. Jesse got it. It's 12 times 5. 12 fingers for Hercules. Five books in the Pentateuch. Um, It would be fun to have extremely random calculations where they just roll some dice right there on the spot. It's like like truly random. Yeah. Better get it. I don't know. (laughs) That that would be genuinely random. Truly would be. Yeah. I am normally good at wordplay. Somehow words that end in IR, I just struggled. Mm. I don't know. They did okay, though. This word for a slaughterhouse is borrowed from French. That was at the $1,600 level. Mira got it. That's an abattoir. Mm -hmm. But they miss missed the $2,000. This word can refer to a pirate in the Mediterranean Sea from the 16th to the 19th century. It's a corsair. A corsair. That's a good word. It is a good word. I I could not remember it when it was time to remember it. And neither could they. Daily double number two is in places to visit at the $1,200 level. Pick number 10. Jesse finds it. He's at 8,800 with Deb at 10,800 and Mira at 8,600. This is his fifth daily double in a row that he's found. And for the fifth time in a row, he makes it a true daily double. He gets the clue. Tourists who make their way to these islands, 600 miles off South America, often miss the fur seals, which love rocky and shady areas. He tries what are the Falklands, but it's the Galapagos. Ken says, I bet you considered both. Jesse says, yes. So Jesse drops to zero. Yeah. If it mentions animals, I would probably guess the Galapagos. Yeah. Yeah. And Daily Double number three is an art and artist at the $800 level. Jesse also finds this one. So I believe that's two days in a row. Jesse found all three. He is at 3,200. Deb's up to 11,600. Mirror's at 7,800. And he wagers only 1,000. It's pick number 21. Probably doesn't want to risk dropping the zero again. Gets a clue. Picasso liked to draw this bird. Also his daughter's name translated from Spanish. And he guesses what's a dove. And that is correct. Apparently, Paloma means dove. Yeah, I didn't know that. I did not know that either. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, 
Deb's at 13,600. Jesse's at 5,400. Mira's at 9,800. And the final Jeopardy category is 19th century Americans with the clue in 1896, 15 years after a famous showdown, this man was accused of fixing a championship boxing match. Jesse tried who is Braddock, apparently a famous boxer. I didn't remember that name. I think that's Cinderella Man. If you remember that story. Okay. Jim Braddock. Yeah. 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 I I may even have mentioned him in my boxing deep dive because I did like a quick like run through of major names, but I did not retain Mm -hmm. all of the major Mm -hmm. names. Jesse's wager 2600, so he drops to 2800. Uh, Mira tried who is Doc Holliday. She's in the right neighborhood, but the wrong name. She wagered 7000. She dropped to 2800 also. So she and Jesse are tied there. That's that's the score they'll take into the second game. And then Deb got it correct with who is Wyatt Earp. So gunfight at the OK Corral, Doc Holliday was there, but Wyatt Earp is the one that this clue was touching on. And Deb wagered 8,000 and they go up to 21,600. Yes, a big, big lead going into day two. So we have the same contestants next day, and our Jeopardy round categories are World Capitals, the key word in the literary subtitle, you have to give the actual title, 40 Years Ago, 1984, How Dare You, Jeopardy? Very rude. Advertising rude. slogans, TV characters, and building a new word. Mm-hmm. The $1,000 level of that category was a harbor for a ship docks with a loose coat or robe to be this type of word like spork or mockumentary. And Deb got that. That's a portmanteau, which I feel like is, is portmanteau a portmanteau? I believe portmanteau is a portmanteau. Yes. I don't, I don't think I ever realized that. Yes. Oh, remarkable. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's it's satisfying. Yeah. We, we, We had a very funny, we've talked numerous times and at length about how there is a little screen off to the side of the game board (laughs) and how that sometimes you know contestants won't won't see it won't look won't know to look whatever can't see it very well whatever the 800 level of 40 years ago was at the winter olympics this american won gold with a four and a half minute program that featured multiple triple jumps they showed a picture and <laughs> Deb rang in and said it was Mary Lou Retton. That is incorrect because that was Scott Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> Who they just don't look alike. I'm yeah, not at all. Throwing um, that out there. <laughs> during during the interview segment, Deb did mention that their glasses are broken, lost. I can't remember. Yeah, they need, right, they right. need new glasses. They need new glasses. <laughs> they yeah. need new glasses. And they're significant they're Boyfriend, I think, was 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 trying to convince them to like buy, buy them in some, a rush yeah. in Los Angeles, which costs <coughs> you sixteen hundred dollars in Jeopardy because mm-hmm. you can't see the picture and you say Mary Lou Retton instead of Scott Hamilton. Those those rush glasses are starting to starting to sound like a bargain. Yeah, <laughs> this isn't. I mean, it, it does not, in fact, cost Deb sixteen hundred. Because this is just a tournament because, spot. Because it's but, a tournament, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but still, it's really funny. Like yes. Mary Lou Retton, and I, I, I got uncomfortable. I was like, oh, oh no, <laughs> oh no. Yeah. At least one person is offended now. Oh no, probably more. But mm-hmm. Deb did apologize, so it's all fine. 
there was some there was some noise about Jesse's response at the thousand dollar level of advertising slogans. Capital One asks this forward question, and Jesse rang in and said simply, "What's in your wallet?" and was correctly ruled correct. Ruled correct. Because what's question. in your wallet is a question. You don't have to say what is what's in your wallet. There is no rule that you have to append a prepend whatever a what is to the right. correct response. You just have to answer in the form of a question. If the answer is already a question, then you're fine. Yeah. Um, That's the fun part. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. allowed to say what is what's in your wallet. And it's, it's probably wise to not get too cute. Right. Cause you've got but, a lot to think about. Yeah. But. <laughs> but what's in your wallet is a question. Jesse answered in the form of a question because the correct response was a question. All set. Fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Daily double number one is in the keyword in the literary subtitle. I thought this was a really hard category. I, th- I thought it was too. Yeah. But they did um, pretty well. Yeah, Mira absolutely flexed at the $800 level, by the way, challenging to pre-Civil mm-hmm. War Americans lowly. Mira rings in and says, what is Uncle Tom's Cabin or Life Among the Lowly? Like, wow, Mira, nice work. Okay, um, yeah, like, we get it. All right, you're on Jeopardy, okay. <laughs> but also, don't don't get too cute. Don't yeah, get too cute. Remember, you um, can always go wrong. Yeah, we'll come back to that in Double Jeopardy. Anyway, the $400 level of this category is where we find daily double number one pick number 24 deb uncovers it they're at 3200 with jesse at 4200 and mira at 5200 oh that's satisfying and they wager 2500 and their clue is an 1854 series of essays woods and they get it correct with walden or life in the woods so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Deb's at 5,900, Jesse's at 4,600, Mira's at 5,800. And the double Jeopardy categories are from page to scream. Brit speak. <laughs> How many times shall the people dance before the First World War and blowin' in the wind? I feel like I'm not quite like there's something. Uh, are these are these last four fitting together somehow? Is that all? I don't know. Yeah, I think they're... Oh, are they lyrics in the song? Look at the lyrics. Like, I can't remember. There are so many weird lyrics. Maybe not. It seems like they would be lyrics in Blown in the Wind, but yeah, maybe they're not. All right. So, so I said we were going to come back to not getting too cute. The very first pick, the $2,000 level from Page to Scream, The Turning is a 2020 film adaptation of an 1898 supernatural story by this author. And Mira rings in and says, who is William James? Just give the last name. Just give the last name. That is incorrect. It is Mm -hmm. Henry James. And she may very well have gotten to be more specific if she rang in and just said, who is James? And then she would have lost the $2,000, but maybe she would have been ruled correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You give yourself a better chance by being less specific. Yep. And you can go deep into the back catalog to find my deep dive on William James, Henry James's brother. Um, Yes. Both significant figures, but, you know, Henry James wrote the turn of the screw. Turn of the screw. Yeah. Yeah. And William James was like the philosopher guy. Yeah. The philosopher guy. 
I thought the how many times category was was weird because mm-hmm. the responses are like inexact. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, the eight hundred dollar clue, Billy Bob Thornton six times most recently in October twenty fourteen. And it's like, how do you how do you phrase that, right? What is Jesse said was how many times he's been married. Which mm-hmm. is correct. But that's just a weird mouthful to put together as a Jeopardy response, you yep. know? Mm-hmm. And it was kind of that, that way for all of them. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I guessed on Billy Bob Thornton how many times he's been divorced. Although I think he's been divorced five times. I think the current marriage is ongoing, I think. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, all of them... Yeah, there was... the. The phrasing would make me anxious. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly. I'd be like, how do I say this the right way? Oh, no. I'm supposed to give you an exact fact. Yep. Once again, working on my some Jeopardy writer is planning a Disney trap theory. <laughs> Shall the people dance at the $400 level? The Hawaiians who developed this dance to honor gods or chiefs never thought there'd be a special Alani version. Alani is Disney's resort in Hawaii. I was like, is that something like, I was like, does that word have some meaning I'm not familiar with? It might, but I think they're just referencing the Disney resort here. Yeah. Uh, Daily double number two is in before the first world war at the $1,200 level. Pick number five, Jesse finds it. Uh, Deb broke his streak with the, with the first Mm -hmm. one in this game. So he got it back. He's at 7,400, Deb's at 5,900, Mir's at 3,800, and he bets it all. And Ken mm-hmm. you know, says it's the right thing. He's got some ground to make up. Gets the clue. The history book, The Sleepwalkers, says this event not only stirred war fever in Austria, but ended the life of an advocate for peace. And he gets it correct with what is the assassination of Ferdinand. Which, in a category titled Before the First World War, like I'm not sure I would expect to find kind of the canonical precipitating event at the $1,200 level. It's a bit on the nose. Yeah. Daily double number three is in Brit speak at the $1,600 level. And Mira finds this one. So unlike the past couple of days where Jesse's found all three, one for each of the contestants this time. Mira's at 5,000. Deb's at 6,700. Jesse's at 18,400. And Mira has no real choice here she bets it all and she gets the clue also the last name of an english painter it's brit speak for a police officer and i came up with the same thing as mira i'm like this she she seems very much like she knows it's probably not quite correct but she's got to go with it it's the only guess she has what is bobby and constable is what they were looking for here yeah yeah so Going into Final Jeopardy, Deb is at 10,300. Jesse is at 20,400. Mira is at 5,600. So Jesse is certainly within range to win based on yesterday's scores, depending on how things go. The Final Jeopardy category is on vacation in Italy, and the clue about 30 miles from Florence, a little hill gives this tiny Tuscan town its name, familiar to American visitors. This was a triple stumper. I got a pretty quickly but that's just because i was like well i don't know any tiny tuscan towns so what would be like little hill in italian yeah mira wrote what is 
uh oh in Italian. <laughs> Go Deb and Jesse. Uh, very funny. That's incorrect. And she wagered everything. Deb wrote, What sorry I forgot. And then an arrow and thanks mom and dad. And that was I forgot mom and dad. I forgot to thank mom and dad in my like interview. Yeah. Um, and that's also incorrect. And Deb wagered all 10,300. Jesse wrote, What is Washington? Which is also incorrect. And mm-hmm. wagered 19,800, which I think mathematically was the right thing to do to try to win the tournament. Right. But that means that he drops down to 3,400, which means that Deb is the winner. The correct response here is Monticello. Mm-hmm. If you know that, like, Mont is Hill. Yep. Then you could probably get there fairly yeah. quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Deb moves on to the Tournament of Champions, which starts tomorrow. And that brings us to Friday. We're in the Tournament of Champions! Finally. Yay! Yay! <laughs> the buildup has been intense. It has been... And protracted. <laughs> protracted, yes. So, Tournament of Champions quarterfinal game one. Our contestants are Matthew Marcus, a software developer and substitute teacher from Portland, Oregon. Suresh Krishnan, a networking engineer from Suwanee, Georgia. And Emily Sands, a project manager from Chanhassen, Minnesota. And the Jeopardy round categories are 1960s fiction, TV comedy, sleep puri, condiments, election lingo, and triple rhyme time. Yeah, they jumped right into the triple rhyme time here. Yeah, yeah. normally they keep us waiting. Mm-hmm. Like, is there going to be triple rhyme time or nah? They didn't want to. Didn't want to leave us guessing this time. Though. Yeah, well, they're yeah. leaving us guessing about whether there's going to be Roman numeral math. That's true. That needs to be. I don't know. That sh- that should I be. I need a, a Roman finals. numeral math. Yeah, but that. I mean, it should be at least the semifinals. Okay. All right. Sure. Yeah. The $1,000 level of condiments UNESCO added this Tunisian chili paste, sort of North Africa's ketchup, to its list of intangible cultural heritage. Emily got that. It is Harissa. And I love that there's a UNESCO list of intangible cultural heritage, although Harissa... It's pretty tangible. It's tangible. Like, you can you can, you can put mix it, in it your into mouth. your food. Yeah. You, you you can you can definitely tange it. it, it it's yes. <laughs> <laughs> it can be tanged. <laughs> but the the intangible cultural heritage list I I think is just a just a delightful concept. I'm so glad that exists. Mhm. Mm-hmm. We had a funny miss at the $600 level of TV comedy. Let's bring the pain. Alan Payne played CJ Payne on some 300 episodes of this creator's House of Pain. And Emily said who is Tyler? Which Maybe they're on first name basis. I don't know. But yeah. that wasn't acceptable because it's Tyler Perry. Right. Usually you need the the last name if you're just going to give one name. Mm-hmm. Unless it's like, I don't know, Cher. Yeah. Or Fictional characters, I think often a first name is sufficient. Sure, right. if that's just what they're known by, yeah. Yeah. Daily Double number one is down at the bottom of the triple rhyme time. It's pick number seven. The $1,000 clue. Suresh found it. He is up to 2400 at that point. Emily's at 2000 and Matthew was at zero. And he bet all 2400 and got the clue. A clever little song about any metropolis. 
and he guess what is a bitty witty song a bitty bitty witty city and he because he, he I think he knew city but he couldn't come up with the word for song it's a, a witty city ditty mm-hmm. is what they were going for yeah so at the end of the Jeopardy round Emily's at 4,800 Suresh is at 200 Matthew's at 1,000 and the double Jeopardy categories are the American Revolution era pop culture dragons judges that building has great bones quick geo and 2020s and 1920s slang I, I thought at first when that came up I was like what kind of slang is the same in the 2020s as it was in the 1920s but that's not mm-hmm. what, it's, what it's saying it's just either from the 2020s or the 1920s yeah Emily knew the $1200 level and so did I Oxford's word of the year for 2023 <laughs> It's a, what it's what someone has if they spit fire game to the hunks or the honeys. The hunks or the, uh, the the youth are not saying that these days. That's that's nineteen twenties slang, maybe. <laughs> but Riz is what they were looking for. It's Oxford's word of the year, which means I'm sure the children are abandoning it even as we speak. Like instantaneously, they they just know not to. Yeah. It's in the air. Huh. Apparently. It- Short for charisma. Yes. The $2,000 level just makes me so glad <laughs> that I got married before social media. Oh, I know. Oh, my God. Dating apps. Oh, my gosh. Showing your significant other's hands but no face on the IG is known as this two-word term like a preview for a new product. Apparently, that's a soft launch. Apparently, hey. you have to soft launch soft your relationships launch. now. Yeah. I, mm, yeah. No, thank you. I mean, you you got to feel it out. Yeah. Okay. My ten year old is in his his Hamilton era, um, and uh, <laughs> as uh, I used to always point out on the podcast when there was a clue that you could correctly answer if you just had Hamilton memorized verbatim. So let, let's come back to that. Tw- the $1,200 level of the American Revolution era, General Richard Montgomery died in the Yankees' December 1775 defeat at this Canadian city that the British had only seized in 1759. Suresh got that. It is Quebec. And I can't remember what song that is. that's in. <gasps> But it's in there. I know. I know. I know. His kids would be so ashamed. I know. (laughs) I know. All right. I'd already talked about that. That my son is in his Hamilton era right now. Yeah. I don't know if he actually got the shot in the neck, or if they, or if that just rhymes with Quebec. So you know. So they. So Lin Manuel Miranda took some took some historical liberties. Who knows? I'm sure. Either way. I'm sure it can be known. (laughs) Somebody probably took note. yeah. Yeah. All right. Daily Double number two is in That Building Has Great Bones. It's at the $1,600 level, and Emily finds it at pick number 13. She's at 14000 Suresh is at 1400 and Matthew's at 5800 She wagers 7000 I like this wager, because if she gets it right, she's going to be very, very hard to catch. And mm-hmm. if she gets it wrong, she's going to still have a slim lead. And she gets the clue. You'll think of mortality in a Rome church housing 3,500 skulls of friars in this order. That makes me think of Italian coffee. And she gets it correct. That is the capuchin from which the cappuccino gets its name. Yeah. 
Daily Double number three is in Pop Culture Dragons at the $2,000 level. Pick number 16, and Suresh finds this one as well. He's at 3000 behind Matthew's 5800 and Emily's 21000 Oof. So he bets it all, of course. And gets the clue, Falkor, the White Luck Dragon, helps Atreyu in this epic fantasy film from Wolfgang Peterson. And Suresh, I don't think he's ever seen it. He's, he's yeah. digging around trying to find something, but he's just not able to come up with anything. That is, of course, the never-ending story. R.I.P. Artax. We've all been, I think, personally victimized. By, uh, yeah. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Emily is in a lock position with 21,800. Suresh is at zero, so he's not going to be participating in final jeopardy. Matthew's at 7,400. And the final jeopardy category is French authors with the clue trained as a priest and a physician. In 1532, he published his first novel under the pen name Alcofriba Nassier. And Matthew got this one correct with who is Rabelais? And I love you, Magda and Clara. Um, he wagered everything but a dollar, so he goes up to 14,799. Emily responds, who are the greatest people in the universe? Jeopardy fans. Yeah. That's so nice. She didn't wager anything, so she keeps her lock and goes on to the semifinals. Yes, she does. Yeah. Was so a fun game. That, Yes. Yes, it was. So that's the week. And uh, we'll continue with quarterfinals next week. But right now, we're going to take a quick minute before the deep dive to remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And that's where you can go if you want to help us keep paying for the things that make the podcast possible, like hosting and software and stuff. You can slide us a couple bucks a month, and then you get access to whatever exclusive content we have on there, such as quiz questions, which I am surely going to put up this week. Yeah. I believe in you. Yes, I can do it. I can do it. Yeah. So big thanks to the people who are helping us out over at Patreon. We really appreciate you. And if, if you want to be if you're not supporting us on Patreon and you'd like to be, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. But of course, there are more important things in the world than that. So we don't like to ask for money without acknowledging that. And we've put some of the things that we care about in the show notes. All right, Kyle, do you have deep dive guesses? Well, I got to start with Monticello. We're not doing Monticello. Okay. I, I looked wanna... at it. I tried to talk myself into it, but I don't know. I, yeah. Nah. Sure. Nah. <laughs> you're, not, you're, not, you're not feeling it. Are you talking yeah. about Hen- Are you, you going to talk about Henry James? I am not talking about Henry James. Oh, I can no. that one a little bit. Oh no, those are really the only two that I thought like, oh, these are these are decent guesses. How about the Galapagos? Ooh, nope, nope. Okay, um, okay. So we're going back to Tuesday's game. Artists and their subjects to the two thousand dollar level. Oh, her. The Tale of This Woman and the Elders is a common subject, and Lorenzo Lottos from 1517 is one of those with minimal boobage. Minimal boobage. Minimal boobage. <laughs> <laughs> We're 
we're just we're we're keeping it keeping it classy. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the writers are back from strike. They're like, we are invincible. Let's go for it. Yeah, <laughs> um, I love it. It's great. Yes. All right. So Alex tried what is Madonna? That wasn't correct. It turned into a triple stumper. It's Susanna, and I was like, you know what? That's a that's a Bible thing that I don't actually know much about. And if I don't, then probably other people also don't. But it turns out it's like, you know, there's a lot of art about Susanna and the elders. So I was like, you know what, let's look that up and find out something. Uh, okay. so Susanna, yeah. Uh, so Susanna and the elders is a narrative, which is included as chapter 13 of the book of Daniel by some Christian sects but not others so the catholic mm. church oriental orthodox churches and eastern orthodox churches have the narrative of Susanna and the elders as chapter 13 of the book of daniel it is placed in the apocrypha by protestants lutherans anglicans and methodists regard it as non-canonical but useful for purposes of edification if somebody has like a protestant bible that has apocrypha separately i believe it will be in there as susanna so the narrative of susanna appears to have been part of the original septuagint which if you don't know what that is jewish scriptures in greek so most of it is just translation of the you know like the 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 torah i'm not sure if the other stuff the like the writings and prophets are also in the septuagint i don't recall but most of its translation that overlaps with the hebrew bible as it comes to take its final kind of canonical form um, but there's some stuff that is there in the septuagint it's there in the greek but it's not in the hebrew bible if that makes sense. And that's the material that kind of gets contested and handled differently by different Christian sects. So the story of Susanna is there's a beautiful married Hebrew woman by the name of Susanna who bathes privately, having sent her attendants away in her locked and walled garden. Two elders, there's two elders who encounter one another as they both come to spy on her bathing. And the two men realize that Classic. they, yep, they realize that they both are lusting after Susanna. Um, and so when she goes back to her house, they accost her and uh, they demand that she have sex with them. She refuses. They have her arrested and claim that the reason she sent her maids away when she was going to bathe was to be alone so that she could have a liaison with a young man whom she met under a tree. Can't trust those trees. Yeah, definitely. So they, they tell her, you know, do what we want, or we're going to say that you did this. Nevertheless, she refuses to be blackmailed. She is arrested, and she's about to be put to death for adultery when the young prophet Daniel interrupts the proceeding and demands that the elders be interrogated to prevent the death of an innocent. So they're separated, and they're questioned about the details of what they saw, and they contradict each other about what kind of tree Susanna met her lover under. So in the Greek text, there, there's some Greek pun. Oh, who doesn't yes, love a good uh, Greek pun? Yes, I know, right? The two different elders name different trees, and then there's puns based on like those trees. So the first says that they were under a mastic tree, which in Greek is skinon. And Daniel says that an angel stands ready to cut to skizze 
him in two. Mm. And then the other one says that they were under an evergreen oak tree, Prinon. And Daniel says that an angel stands ready to saw Prise him in two. Mm. Um, so there's some Greek puns, which leads some scholars to think that this text was originally in Greek, but we'll come back to that in a second. Those two trees are very different looking, different sizes. And so when they contradict each other about what kind of tree, it makes it clear that they, you know, didn't coordinate their story and that they're making it up. So the two false accusers are put to death. And Susanna's name is clear and good triumphs. So there's Greek puns in the text, which some scholars have suggested means that, you know, the text was originally written in Greek. Um, others have suggested that there might be pairs of words in Hebrew or Aramaic for trees and cutting that are similar enough that the puns could work if it were originally in Hebrew. Hmm. And then and then there's the question of translation into English and I suppose other languages. But so there's the anchor Bible translation uses you tree and hue and a clove mm. tree and cleave to kind of get the pun in there as well in English. Because yeah, that's yeah. It's good to know that that's the real important part of the story. Yeah, yeah. So when the Vulgate was being translated by Jerome, um, he treated this section as a non-canonical fable. Um, and in his introduction, he indicated that Susanna was an apocryphal edition because it wasn't present in the Hebrew text of Daniel. And there have been some other kind of conversations about or other commentaries from different, you know, kind of church fathers about including or excluding Susanna in the in the book of Daniel. But, but yeah, that's that's the one that that seemed noteworthy to me. So this is it's been a common artistic subject. It's been portrayed by many artists in the early Christian and late Renaissance and Baroque periods, especially. The bathing Susanna was first shown fully clothed um, and served as a symbol of faith and marital chastity, fidelity, whatever. And then in the 15th century, images kind of shifted toward maybe more lascivious, depicting her nude. And then we're going to get to, there are some notable ones by Artemisia Gentileschi, who we heard about. We from, know about that. Yeah, we yeah. know about her. Yeah, Brian Chang brought us a, a great deep dive on Artemisia Gentileschi a while back. So, but going back, you know, to some of those earlier artistic depictions. Susanna is one of a group of individuals from the Old Testament, along with Noah, Abraham, and Isaac, Moses, Daniel, the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three Hebrew children, and Jonah were invoked in the Christian commendatio anime, the commendation of souls. That was a third century prayer set over the dying. Uh, it's still part of Roman Catholic liturgy. Um, those figures from that prayer appear on catacomb walls and marble sarcophagi from the late third century onward with their hands lifted in prayer. Um, and they're kind of united by like being in peril and calling on God to save them. The earliest images of Susanna and the elders are those in the catacombs of Priscilla in Rome, one of the oldest and largest catacomb systems in Rome, possibly used for Christian burials as early as 200. The paintings from the late 3rd and early 4th century are in an underground room that has come to be known as the Capella Greca, the Greek chapel. 
Three scenes from Susanna's story are the largest and most prominent in the room. They include her accusation by the elders. Catacomb of Pretextatus. There is also an unusual allegorical image of Susanna. There's a sheep labeled Susanna standing between two wolves, one of Mm. whom is captioned Senoris, which means elder. And so that's Susanna and the elders, but it's also like a sheep among wolves, which maybe uh, connects with kind of uh, Christian rhetoric around like heretics and orthodox believers. Um, so that's that's an interesting piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a moving forward, there's a piece uh, called the Susanna crystal or the Lothair crystal. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's a mid 9th century engraved rock crystal in a gilded copper frame made in the Lotharingia region of Northwest Europe. It is small, it's four and a half inches in diameter, but carved with eight vignettes of the story of Susanna with inscriptions from the Vulgate accompanying each scene. Uh, An inscription on the back of the crystal names Lothar II, king of Lotharingia, as the commissioner. The The crystal was possibly a gift from Lothar around 865 to placate his queen, Berga, who had suffered through something not dissimilar from Susanna's ordeal, the king wanted to put her aside for his mistress. And so he had two archbishops falsely accuse her of incest, but she was exonerated at the demand of Pope Nicholas I. And Mm. then he made her a crystal with scenes from Susanna on it, I guess. (laughs) To be like, remember that time I did this to you? (laughs) At least it's shiny. Like, what? (laughs) Did it work? Like, what? What? Yeah. Um, I mean, got the self reflection to be like, here's a like a like a biblical analogy. <laughs> like maybe just don't do it in the first place, but you know, whatever. That's just me. Anyway, aside from very few exceptions, Susanna's always shown fully clothed in early Christian and medieval art, but in the fifteenth century artists some continue to depict her in modest attire, but more and more images portray her with her dress pulled above her knees or completely nude, nudes were coming back into fashion at this time. And so maybe maybe this subject matter was especially of interest to artists wanting to work on, you know, portraying female nude figures. Portrayals of the scene during the Renaissance period typically emphasized the elders' point of view and didn't really focus on Susanna's distress, except, you know, maybe she would be pictured with her eyes looking toward heaven in a plea for help. The Lorenzo Lotto piece that was mentioned and pictured in the Jeopardy clue that uh, inspired this deep dive has Susanna kind of holding like a garment or a cloth of some kind, kind of over her breasts so that, you know, like she's nude, but she's like, you know, kind of covered. Tastefully nude. Yes. Uh, And then as we move into the Baroque period, portrayals were more likely to emphasize the point of view of Susanna, who's uncomfortable with or objects to being watched. Others still concentrated more on kind of the the elders, the male gaze. Artemisia Gentileschi is in this period and uses the story of Susanna multiple times, as does Rubens. And then there's some there's some modern representations of note. Some of them depict Susanna alone. Maybe she's unaware of being watched or uncomfortable with it. Some of the portrayals don't include the elders at all, which puts the spectator 
like the mm. like puts puts the viewer of the, the painting viewer. kind of in the sorry the viewer yes puts the viewer of the painting in the role of kind of the voyeuristic elder which is interesting yes yeah yeah picasso rendered susanna depicting her much like he de- depicts his other less abstract reclining nudes and then the elders are depicted as paintings hanging on the wall behind her yeah, so that's that's Susanna in visual art, but there's a there's a couple noteworthy things with her story in other forms. So in 1749, George Friedrich, Friedrich Handel wrote the English language oratorio Susanna. There's a poem by modernist poet Wallace Stevens, Stevens, a 1915 poem titled Peter Quince at the Clavier. Wikipedia says it's about Susanna, not about Peter Quince. That <laughs> I don't know how confident we can say that a modernist poem is not about anything in particular, especially the thing that is in the title. But certainly yeah. there are there are overt references to the to the narrative of Susanna. And then that poem has been sent to music by the American composer Dominic Argento. And there's a there's an opera, Susanna by Carlisle Floyd, which takes place in the American South in the 20th century, inspired by the story, with the addition of a traveling preacher who seduces Susanna. Oh. Um, stories also repeated in the 1001 Nights, under the name The Devout Woman and the Two Wicked Elders, which is a fun connection, I thought, to yeah. another deep dive we've done. Hmm. So that's Susanna and the Elders. Now we know about it. Now we know about it. Yeah, now truly, we know. I never even heard, even with the Jeopardy clue, I was like, well, I've never heard of that. I'll forget it immediately. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, are you ready for a quiz? I am. All right. I do have kind of a theme, but I didn't do very clever writing, so I'm not going to tell you the theme until after we get through question number one. Yeah, so question number one, the Jeopardy clue that inspired this deep dive hinted at the correct response by referencing a minstrel song from 1848. In that song, the singer references having what instrument on their knee? Well, that would be a banjo. That is a banjo, yes. So yeah, this is, I, I was like, you know what, let's let's go to the lyrics of Oh Susanna. And, okay. Yeah. Okay. And see if I can use those to put together a quiz. Oh, Susanna was copyrighted by numerous singers, but probably Stephen Foster is the one who actually wrote it, <coughs> who would go on to become the first American full-time songwriter. He also wrote Camp Town Races, My Old Kentucky Home, Beautiful Dreamer, a bunch of familiar things. Right. But banjo on my knee. I was going to try and find a fun fact about banjos, and then I couldn't. I couldn't find anything. <laughs> That seemed okay. like it would be a good quiz question. Okay, that's uh, fair. Yeah, I don't know. Do you know anything fun about banjos? You play. You use your thumb when you play them. Typically, you have a plectrum on every finger. Mm, yeah, they were. I think. I think goat skin is kind of like huh. technically what you're supposed to have on Well, the any of those would have been a good quiz question. I think. I don't know. I'm trying to remember. I learned about banjo a while ago, and I yeah. just have not cared since. Steve Martin <laughs> is a great banjo player. I know that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Ed Helms also, apparently a comedian <gasps> instrument. Yeah. he Doesn't he play banjo sometimes in the office? Is he actually he playing? He does. Yeah. He plays a little banjo. He plays some sitar. Yeah. 
All right. Well, you're at 10 points, plus you've, plus you've given us some banjo facts. Question, <laughs> question two. What actress, who is not named Susanna, is known for her work in Sideways, Grey's Anatomy, and Killing Eve, and also co-produced and co-starred in the 2023 film Quiz Lady? Oh, no. Is it? Okay. Is it? Yo? It's not. It's Sandra. Okay. It's Sandra. Sandra O. Oh. Sandra O. Oh. Yep. Yeah. Yep. As a, as an O, Susanna. Uh, right. Oh, yeah. of course. Of course. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I went to look her up and I was like, you know what? Let's check if she's been on Celebrity Jeopardy or if there's any Jeopardy connections I should know about Sandra O. Oh, and it turns out that this 2023 movie, Quiz Lady, that she co-produced and co-starred in, is inspired in part by Jeopardy. It's a comedy about two sisters, and one of them is obsessed with game shows, and the other one's kind of chaotic, but like videos, like tapes her sister, like, you know, answering rapid fire quiz questions, and like, I don't know, there's some kind of quiz, like, it's a a quiz show movie, so I need to go watch it. Um, Yeah, I've never heard of it. Yeah, so I'm going to go check it out. It's got a bunch of other names that you would know attached to it. Aquafina is the other sister. And let's see, Will Ferrell is another one of the producers. Yeah, so it looks, it looks, I, I'm surprised I haven't heard about it. I, I'm curious. I'm intrigued. All right, you're at 10 points. Question three. We've talked about glands before on the podcast. So hopefully this question won't be too confutatis. What are the glands that produce tears? I'm assuming this just has to do with "Don't you cry for me?" Because I'm like trying. Oh, to Oh yeah, go to yeah, the don't, yeah, don't you, don't you cry for me? <laughs> I'm like, I don't think there's a, I don't yeah, think there's like a, a Latin tear was anatomical, in her right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember that part. I, like, I don't know all the lyrics, but I'm pretty sure there's not some reference to anatomical parts the, the yeah. lacrimal glands that is correct yes yeah and i i, I threw i threw confrutatis in there because to, i yeah to like i'm not sure what associations you have but like when i hear lacrimal i'm like oh like the lacrimo like the lacrimosa yeah, in the record sure. uh uh-huh. yeah oh yeah so and there are three kinds of tears it turns out basal tears are the normal kind of lubricating tears. Maybe you went over this in your glands deep dive. I don't remember, but like, you know, just, just like standard, like you, you know, your eye has to stay moist. Uh, So those are, those are basal tears. Reflex tears are the ones that you get from like cutting onions, like Mm -hmm. bright light, strong odor, like hot food, pepper spray, vomiting, like all of those things. And then psychic or emotional tears are the ones that we, think of you know kind of in association with crying psychic um, tears psychic tears yeah but all from the lacrimal glands all right you're at 20 points question four by day one way by night another this shall be the norm until you find true love's first kiss and then take love's true form connection there is true love this is the curse that has been placed upon what character voiced by cameron diaz in a film that also features the voices of mike myers eddie murphy and john lithgow <laughs> i don't know why it, it, it's shrek and I, uh-huh. I don't know why shrek has oh, such oh, like what a, was the question 
Oh, sorry, it's Princess Fiona. Uh, there sorry, the character right. was Princess Fiona. Yeah. Yeah, the, I don't know why the, like, oh, Shrek has such, like, a, a profound cultural gra- grasp on our generation. It does, it does. <laughs> yeah, but, I, you know, I was like, I was like, okay, I was reading through the, the Oh Susanna lyrics, and I'm like, true love, okay, well, obviously, we're going to do a Princess Bride question, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go a little deeper. <laughs> um, so... But yeah, oh man, Shrek. Shrek won the first ever Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. I didn't realize mm-hmm. that that award was so new, but yeah, I probably should have. Yeah. All right, you're at 30 points. Question five. Urban legend has it that the Baroness de Pontalba financed a statue of Andrew Jackson because he had in life refused to tip his hat to her. The statue she financed portrays Jackson tipping his hat and is oriented so that he faced her apartment, tipping his hat to her for all time. Whether that was her rationale is a matter of conjecture, but she did certainly finance the statue. In what city does it stand? I am hmm. realizing that I have forgotten most of the lyrics to Oh Susanna. I'm trying to remember if there's a remember city. The only places I am recalling in the song are Alabama and Louisiana. And for some reason, New Orleans is coming to mind. So I'm going to go with New Orleans. That is correct. Nice. This is, uh, yep. Nice work. Yeah. The statue is in Jackson Square. Makes sense. New Orleans. Yes. So Baroness de Pontalba, I think, lived most of her life in Paris, but is is very associated with New Orleans. She was an heiress who married a baron. Her father-in-law tried to get possession of her inheritance. And after failing for two decades, he shot her four times at point blank range with a pair of dueling pistols and then committed suicide. But she survived the attack. Um, oh. Well, right? <laughs> you so you you're just frustrated. Like it does commit suit. What? I know, right? Why even bother? Yeah. Why, right. Yes, why? So she survived, and she was responsible for the design and construction of the famous Pontalba buildings in Jackson Square, as well as as well as that <laughs> statue in the heart of the French Quarter in New Orleans. Oh, soon I will be in New Orleans, and then I'll look around, and when I find my Susanna, I'll fall upon the ground. Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, but there's also Louisiana. All right. You're at 40 points. And the final category is it's gluten-free. Uh-oh. I am not, I'm not super confident with this. <laughs> I will bet. Twenty. For 63 points, if you are correct. In one of the verses of Oh Susanna, the singer dreams of Susanna with this kind of cake in her mouth. Despite its name, it's not a cereal grain. Despite its high starch content, it contains no gluten, which makes it a popular gluten-free option. It's traditionally used in dishes from various cultures, including blini, soba, kasha varnishkas, and sometimes scrapple. What is it? I have no idea. It's not a cereal grain. It's not. Despite its name. 
That's what's throwing me off. What's a cereal grain that I'm not that I'm not coming up with? I have one more clue if you want it. Sure. All right. It's not alfalfa, and it's not porky. Oh, I haven't seen Little Rascals since I don't know when. <laughs> I know that's what it's referencing, but I don't remember anything else. Um, what's coming to mind? Corn pone, which I don't think is right. I don't know. Barley cake is coming to mind, but I'm pretty sure barley is not gluten-free. Corn is a cereal grain, for what it's worth. Corn is a cereal grain. Corn is no place for a mighty warrior. It's not, I doubt it's soy. Um, Millet? Millet? Is millet cake a thing? Is it millet? I don't know, I'll go with millet. That's That's a great guess, but it's buckwheat. Buckwheat. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Horse stock. <laughs> okay, yep. I was not going to get that from the Little Rascals, but now, of course, I, yeah. Yeah. So buckwheat is a pseudo-cereal. Other prominent pseudo-cereals are amaranth and quinoa. And uh, yeah, pseudo-cereals are, are good for gluten-free dishes because they they have that high starch content but but they're you know they're not grains it's related to sorrel and knotweed and rhubarb apparently Mm. but yeah find that lyric i had a dream the other night when everything was still i thought i saw susanna coming down the hill the buckwheat cake was in her mouth the tear was in her eye i said i'm coming from the south susanna don't you cry buckwheat cake buckwheat cake yeah um okay yeah I probably shouldn't do a whole quiz on O Susanna without acknowledging, hey, minstrel songs are problematic. Right, of course. Yeah, obviously. So, but but the lyrics did get me, you know, sort of away from away from Bible and art questions, which, you know, much as Completely I'd love excuses them. Much as I would love <laughs> to do six Bible and art questions, we, we do need some variety. So anyway. Hey, nice work. Thanks. No, that was that was good. I, I threw it you was, a hard uh, one. Yeah, but it was a lot of I was not expecting that, which yeah. I appreciate. Yeah. So hey, you're finishing with 17 points despite me throwing you buckwheat as your final question. So buckwheat. Yeah. And, you know, I we maybe we've never ended with 17 points. I'm not sure. So maybe, maybe not. Could have that. Yeah. All right. We gotta we gotta mix it up. Hold on a second. Is it? It's our 200th episode. Oh my gosh, it's our 200th episode. It's our 200th episode. Oh, we're so old. I know, I know. Yes. All right, we probably should have noticed and celebrated sooner. But hey, thanks for making 200 episodes of this podcast with me. And thank thank you. you. Yeah, this is great. And thank you, listeners. There are 200 episodes. In the catalog. You have have spent well over 200 hours listening to (laughs) us just blather on. It's it's so fun to do this. So, you know, thanks for being out there. Every, every, like, little number on the download count, I'm like, oh, somebody, somebody out there. Wants to wants to think about Jeopardy with us for a while. It's yeah, great. Has, ch- has chosen to spend their time. Yes. So thank you, listeners. We couldn't do without do it without you. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review. It'll be a two hundredth episode present for us. Our Patreon again is 
patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who like Jeopardy, let them know about us. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1, or I guess X. <laughs> I guess X, yes. I, I finally, like, I logged into X. <laughs> I've been very remiss in my social media management because I was like, this is this is dumb. This X thing yeah. that's going to go away soon. It didn't go away. It didn't go away. I know. It's still X. Um, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, you can find us there at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com. Yeah, and we will be back next week with our 201st episode talking about the Tournament of Champions. <laughs> yeah, we'll and- probably mention that at the start of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> and until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Yeah.